Today we're finishing our uh, summer sermon series called Chapter and Verse. And many of you have been here throughout the summer. If this is your first time here, you're, uh, you're getting in on part eight of eight today. So that's just uh, kind of the way it is. I'm sorry, but uh, you won't feel like you miss anything really. I don't mean that how it sounds. You didn't really miss anything. But, uh, but I hope that today's conversation is kind of a freestanding one. And uh, we're going to wrap up our talk about the Bible by, uh, by, by talking about the miraculous, the supernatural, if you will. And, uh, and how that choice to believe in supernatural things is an act of faith. You have your study guides. I invite you to take those. And I'm going to start today with just a couple of quotes. I don't usually do this, but one quote and then one Bible verse uh, it will be how we start today's um, sermon. This guy named Wittgenstein says that uh, there are, basically there are two ways of seeing the world. He says the great delusion in modernity, that is in modern times in our era, is that the laws of science explain the universe for us. The laws of nature describe the universe, but they explain nothing. The second thing I want to read is from uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 through 20. You have this in your study guides if it helps, or you can open your Bibles and make a note of it. But Philippians 3, 18 through 20 says this, says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, or their appetite, he's saying, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. Both of these quotes, the Philippians and then the quote from Wittgenstein, says basically there are a couple of ways of seeing reality, a couple of ways of seeing the world. For the sake of our series, we'll talk about the Bible. There's a couple of ways of seeing the Bible. Uh, you can see the Bible as the eternal word of God. You can choose to see the Bible as uh, supernaturally put together and that it contains the uh, you know, the, the source of all truth. It points us toward the source of our salvation and that there is something spiritual and transcendent about the words on these pages. You can choose to believe that, and some of you have, and kudos to you, I applaud you. My hunch is that most people today have not made that choice. Most people have chosen the other worldview. Maybe most people in this room, even though you call yourself Christians, many of you, and go to church and all that, I'm not sure you really would call yourself a supernaturalist when it comes to the miraculous. Many people uh, adopt a, more of a, a modernist worldview, more of a materialistic worldview, where they say, you know, the Bible's fine, but it's just a book, just words on a page. And the guys that wrote it, they all had agendas, you know, and, and it says some good things, but there's nothing eternal or supernatural about the words on these pages. There's nothing absolute here. It's just another religious book. It's good for some people, but it's not for me. And people in that camp, we'll call that the materialist camp or, or camp, you know, B. Camp A was the supernaturalist believer camp. Camp B is more of the materialist camp. And these guys are almost always the same. If I've had one conversation with this group of people, I've had a million conversations with this group of people because they almost always lean on the same kinds of arguments. And their spokesmen are usually men in their 20s and 30s who are educated. And they are too far 
too far gone in their you know, education or in their uh, enlightenment to believe all the stuff those religious people believe. And so I want us to, to think about both of these worldviews as leaps of faith. This crowd does not want to call itself faithful. But I'm telling you, it is a, a leap of faith, just like group A is. Just like supernaturalism is, materialism is a leap of faith. Supernaturalism says there's more going on in the universe than what can be seen, tasted, touched, or bought. There's more happening. There's a spiritual realm. The materialist says, when I talk about materialism, it's not just going shopping. The materialist says that only what can be seen, touched, tasted, and bought, or lab tested, verified, you know, proven, that's all that exists. That's all we should concern ourselves with. I want to say both. Both camps involve a leap of faith. Now this guy says, no, 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 no. Faith is over there. Facts are over here. Uh, you know, uh, your superstition, over there. Science, over here. Religion, over there. Reason, over here. But it's a little bit of a, a problematic uh, position to take. Um, and, and, and it's a little bit arrogant. These guys always strike me a little bit like the Christopher Columbus of philosophy or something. Like they, they think they have arrived at some destination that no one else has ever arrived at before. But you know, millions of others have arrived there and lived there and said the same things that they're saying, uh, argued the same things that they're arguing for hundreds if not thousands of years. But it's their arrogance that is often uh, their uh, demise. But what I wanna say here is that this is the dominant worldview. If you're sitting here wondering why is a preacher talking about materialism versus, of course we're supernaturalists, we're in church. No, 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 that's not the case. People under 35, this is the default. To be over there and under 35 is radical. Materialism is the default mode. And even if we say we believe in greater things, we live as if we do not. Whenever I talk to these guys in uh, this camp, they use the same arguments against my Christian, Christian faith, right? They say, well, people just created God in our image. And as people evolved, then God has evolved. And they say, the Bible is just, you know, another holy book uh, full of myths. They say it's silly for smart people to believe that Noah put a bunch of animals on some boat that he built. It's ridiculous. And whenever I talk to these guys, I can't help but think, about uh, that meme. You've seen the Willy Wonka meme? The Willy Wonka, where he's like, tell me more. You know, like feigning interest, you know, tell me more. Like, I feel like with these guys, tell me more about how you absolutely believe nothing is absolute. You know, that kind of a thing where these arguments are so easily debunked because they've been argued and debunked for hundreds of years uh, that, that we end up kind of chasing our tails with these guys sometimes. There are two ways, and we all come to those crossroads. There's two ways of seeing the world. There's a movie a while back that came out, and nobody seemed to like it but me. It was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Is that how you say his name? Something like that. And uh, it was called Signs. Any fans? Nah, that's kind of what I thought. So it's an alien, <laughs> it's an alien movie 
it's an alien, alien invasion movie. And in, uh, in the, the clip you're about to see, these two main characters are sitting on a couch talking about what they're seeing on the news, this alien invasion. And what I love about this clip, and really the whole movie, is that it deals with this crossroads that we all come to every day where we have to decide if we believe, if we're going to live as though just what can be seen, bought, tasted, and touched is real, or whether there is another eternal realm that we should be living for. And this clip, I believe, really illustrates that well. Let's spend maybe a minute and a half looking at this video clip from Signs. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Couldn't you pretend to be like you used to be? <laughs> Give me some comfort. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck, a happy turn of chance. I'm sure that People in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. There's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? sees miracles or do you believe that people just get lucky or look at the question this way is it possible that there are no coincidences all right i don't say this very often and please don't quote me online saying this but uh mel gibson is right y'all and uh <laughs> I agree with Mel Gibson. There are two kinds of people in the world, and we get to choose what kind of people we're going to be. Group A, the supernaturalists, believe in uh, miracles. We have a maybe wide-eyed, optimistic outlook, and we say that everything happens for a reason. We say things like, uh, like there are no coincidences, and everybody else rolls their eyes around us. You know, uh, when you're in the supernaturalist camp, you're often accused of being naive. Uh, now, Group B, the materialists, believe that this world is all there is. Not only does everything not happen for a reason, but everything that's happened happened for no reason at all. 
Not only are there coincidences, but everything's a coincidence. Nothing exists on purpose. Everything you see and touch and taste and buy, it's all a happy accident if you are a materialist. Now, materialists aren't very nice to religion sometimes, but you can be a religious materialist. I would venture to guess that half the room today would be, by definition, Christian materialists. I was a Christian materialist for 10 years because I liked Jesus. I liked his teachings. I liked his philosophies. I liked his social principles. But I didn't really need the other stuff. I didn't want to deal with the virgin birth. I would tell people in bars and coffee shops that I believe Jesus and the golden rule, but I think the I think that stuff like the virgin birth was added on later to lend credibility to his teachings. Because that's the kind of stuff I was trained to believe. By society, yeah, but also by my education, by my theological education, even. I spent 10 years as a pastor professing a version of Christian materialism. And and if you're there today, don't feel like I'm judging you. It's the majority worldview, like that's all right. You're in good company, you know, there, there are plenty of materialists in the room today. But when it's played out to its fullest extent, materialism is not kind to belief in God. One leading materialist atheist voice is Lawrence Krauss, and he says things like this all the time. He says, science is only truly consistent with an atheistic worldview with regards to the miracles claimed by the gods of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So there is not a lot of uh, overlap here when you really get down to it. And so for me, as as a preacher, as a Christian, something had to happen to convert me. And two things, really, I can look at that happened. The first thing is the truth about materialism was exposed. A materialistic worldview is a deep and dark lie. And as an academic kind of a person, I love to hang out in intellectual circles and have conversations with people like I'm their equal and you know, be accepted in those smart circles of you know, society. That was a really hard place for me to arrive at. But I began to realize how dark and empty materialism is, and it is deceiving. Because when you're a materialist, you would think that materialism is easier than professing a certain faith. Materialism is easier than Christianity. Because I go to a coffee shop, I put a Bible down on my table, and one out of three times, I'm going to be accosted by someone and have to defend what I believe. Either because, uh, you know, an atheist or an agnostic wants to duke it out with me, uh, you know, or, or someone from another religion is curious, or the worst ones are other Christians who want to pin me down on their pet issue, you know, and say, where do you land on this? You know, that kind of a thing. Constantly having to defend myself. If you're a strict materialist, if you're an agnostic, no one's ever going to make you defend yourself. No one's ever going to corner you at Blacksmith or Starbucks or siphon or wherever and say, hmm, tell me more about your not believing things. You know, tell me, your, your, your spiritual cowardice fascinates me. Tell me more, like, <laughs> no one's gonna do that. It seems like it's really easy at first, but over time, the dark and darkness and dishonesty of materialism is 
exposed. Here's where it happened for me. I am, I don't know, I, I am a sucker for creation. Creation was kind of the front door for me to believe in miracles. Because even science really affirms the miraculous nature of creation. Have you thought about this? Even an honest scientist would have to affirm that everything that exists, the 100 billion stars like our sun, most of which are bigger than our sun, that exist in our galaxy alone, and the fact that is that that our galaxy is just one of a hundred billion other galaxies, most of which are larger than our galaxy, most of which contain over a hundred billion stars each. Are you doing the math in your head? And not only stars, but there are planets and there are moons and there are like a hundred billion black holes in our galaxy alone. Who knows what the heck is in those things and all the stuff, all the matter, all the energy, everything at one point, 13.8 billion years ago was compacted and compressed down to a singularity the size of a grain of sand. Thinking about that, standing before the night sky and shrinking before the mystery of creation. It's one of my favorite pastimes. But if you're a materialist, if you're a strict materialist and this world is all there is and nothing really happened for any reason at all, that feeling you get when you shrink before the mystery of creation, that tingle down your spine, you know, the same feeling that you get uh, when you fall in love and look in the eye of your beloved or when you remember how you got down on one knee and proposed or when you remember walking down the aisle, the feeling, the feeling of making love to someone that would give their life for you, the feeling that you get when you have that positive pregnancy test for the first time, when you, the feeling, you remember the feeling? The feeling that you got when you met your child for the first time. Those of you who have kids already, the, the feeling of walking that child uh, to her first day of kindergarten, the feeling of walking that child out of the auditorium, her last day of high school, you know, the feeling of moving her into her college dorm for the first time, the feeling of college graduation and her wedding and walking her down the aisle and the feeling of being there when she gives birth to your first grandchild, all the human emotions, all the greatest human feelings for the strict materialist, it's all a lie. It's your mind playing tricks on you to get you to want to propagate the species. That's all that is. It's an illusion for the strict materialist. The spine-tingling, hair-raising, goose-bump feeling of being human. It is all a lie. So the logical conclusion of materialism the dark, dishonest, logical conclusion is that nothing means anything. There's no joy there. There's no light there. But here's the crazy part, and this really got me. Materialists who believe what they say they believe still want more. People in this camp still want to believe in the miraculous. There's still a desire there for something transcendent. 
And the question must be, why? Why would a materialist desire to the extent that they line up outside of openings for Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and, and the Matrix and, uh, and you know, Katniss Everdeen stuff. Like, why desire a better story? Why desire a story that says more if more doesn't exist? This really uh, haunted me during my materialistic kind of season. Uh, the question of desire really is crucial. Because what do our desires tell us? C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if the whole universe has no meaning, then we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures had eyes to see, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Here's the point, this is very important. For those of you who are in this camp or you know or love people who are in this camp, it's very important. Why do we have the desires that we have? Why do we cherish the stories that tell of something more unless that something more actually exists? Every other desire you will ever feel has an object that actually exists. No one desires anything that we know of that has never existed. See how nonsensical that would be? Some of you are sitting here today, and I know it, I can feel it in the air. You desire Whataburger. Why? Why do you desire Whataburger? Because you've had Whataburger, and it's real. It exists, and you're from Texas, and you have to like it, apparently. <laughs> Why do you desire coffee? Because it's real, and it makes life worth living, praise the Lord. <laughs> that desire has an object. Why do you desire money, power, adventure, family? All of these things have an end. They have an object where your desire is satisfied. Why do you desire Zoe Saldana? Can I get an amen from the congregation? She's a real person. She exists. Why do you desire Chris Pratt, ladies? Because he's a real person. He exists, and I hate him. Why? The question is, why do, you why, why? why do you desire a Texan Super Bowl ring? Because it, uh, I just found the outlier. It does not exist. Uh, my, my whole argument just fell apart. You know? The ring exists, right? Just not the Texans version yet. One day. This is our year, right, Houston? Yeah. Here's the deal, if every human longing, every human desire is for something real, then what about the universal human desire for transcendence? What about the nearly human, universal human desire for God? What about the universal human longing for more, for meaning, for purpose? What about the universal human longing for a savior? 
Why do we keep telling these stories where a hero intercedes for us and gives himself away for us so that we can be saved and redeemed and restored? Why do we tell these stories unless that Savior exists? From where does that desire come if not from reality? Desire for more than materialism may prove that more than materialism exists. The second thing that moved me from materialism to supernaturalism was my own experience in the Holy Land. And I'll just preface this by saying I am a skeptical person. I'm kind of a jerk about things sometimes. I did not expect to go to the Holy Land and have my whole life changed. I didn't want to be changed. I liked my life. I liked being able to say I was a Christian and preach on Sundays, but still go out with intellectual people and, and find common ground about things and say, I don't really, the virgin birth is probably legend or myth. You know, the resurrection, you know, it's not as important that we believe that Jesus rose up as it is that we believe that his followers rose up in the wake of his death. It was a social revolution, you know, that kind of a thing. I enjoyed having those conversations because I felt really smart and accepted. I didn't want to be a Jesus freak. My trip to the Holy Land was not a typical trip. I got to be toured around by an archaeologist instead of, you know, a, a religious kind of a person. So he got us into all the dig sites and showed us all the evidence. And I don't have time to go into it right now. I'll just tell you that my skeptical mind was forever changed. I was left with no excuses. I realized I no longer had enough faith to believe Jesus was merely a man. And when you see the evidence, when you're a skeptical person like me and you see the evidence for yourself, the evidence for Jesus' divinity, the people that followed him clearly believed he was more than just a man to the extent that they gave their lives, to, were fed to lions, crucified upside down, humiliated, publicly shamed and scorned, giving everything away because of their belief. I realized upon seeing the evidence that there was no way to argue that the resurrection was some kind of a hoax or that his believers just believed it was a social thing, you know, a, a revolution of sorts. No. And I was reminded, you know, of, of Paul's writings in, in 1 Corinthians 15, which you have on your study guides, where he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, what are we doing here? Let's go home. Let's start the tailgate. You know what I'm saying? It's football season. What's happening here if Christ has not been raised? My journey in the Holy Land gave me too much evidence to continue my materialistic approach to my faith in Jesus. I remember standing on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, all alone and feeling the presence of God in a way I cannot explain and just saying out loud over and over, my God, my God, it's all true. The stuff I've heard since I was a kid in vacation Bible school, and I thought it was a nursery rhyme. My God, one time it happened. It's true. It's real. And nothing can be the same after this. I have to be a different kind of man. I have to be a different kind of husband. I have to hang out with different kinds of friends. I have to be a different kind of pastor. Everything has to change about me. I got home from that trip 
and my friends that I had loved to be accepted by the intelligentsia of Kansas City. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, I don't know why I said that. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, my own wife didn't even recognize me. It's like, who is this person, you know? And I left a very proud, intellectual, materialist Christian, and I came back. The one thing I always said I wouldn't become, an evangelical Jesus freak. Nothing's been the same since, because when you open your heart to the possibility of the miraculous, you begin to hear every story a little bit differently. See, I, I had already allowed myself to believe in the miracle of creation. I had already allowed myself to be led by science and what we know to believe that God created everything from that sand-sized singularity. And it occurred to me on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, if God can do that, then what is to stop God? You know, if God can bring all of the universe, all of the hundred billion galaxies with a hundred billion stars each and us and everything and into existence through this one singularity that in the, in the words of scientists was infinitely dense and infinitely hot. If God can spark that explosion and create everything, that explosion has sent us screaming into space and we continue to fly through space at like 20 million miles an hour. If God can do all that, then what? What is stopping God from breaking through, from eternity breaking through into our time and space to destroy death and redeem us? What is preventing me from believing that? And I realized that to be a Christian isn't to say, we're right and everybody's wrong. Ha ha. We're the truth and y'all are false. It's not about that at all. It's to hear every other story about transcendence, whether it's a religious story from some other religion or whether it's a secular kind of, a, a, you know, a, a fictional tale that you watch on a movie screen or read in a book. If you're a Christian and believe in Jesus, you hear every other transcendent story about every other hero who sacrifices himself or herself for the sake of the people to be restored and redeemed. If you hear every other story about Skywalkers and Everdeens and Neo and all the other stories that we love, Frodo and all of that, their echoes, their whispers, their reminders, their promises of something that one time actually happened. The reason we want this is because it's true. The reason we love this is because one time, God, eternal God, broke through into our dimension of time and space because he wanted so bad to show us how much he cares, how much he loves us, how much he would give to restore us. What if, what if one time the stuff from all your favorite stories actually happened? What ramifications would that have for the life you're living now? I'll tell you this, proceed with caution. Because what's gonna happen is you're gonna wind up an evangelical Jesus freak. And your friends are gonna 
laugh at you, sneer at you, smirk at you. But let me tell you this. You're going to be freer than you ever thought possible. You're going to wake up one day and it's not going to matter how you look. It's not going to matter whether people like you. It's not going to matter who has more money than you or who has a better marriage than you or who has better kids than you or who has better life than you. None of that is going to matter because your life is going to have a purpose that supersedes all the stuff materialism has you living for. And that is freedom. People come to church expecting to hear preachers talk about conversion. I got a feeling the conversion most of us need today is not from atheism to religion. I've got a feeling the conversion that needs to happen here for most of us is a conversion from rigid materialism, where we invest all our time, money, and energy in how we look, live, and feel. From materialism to supernaturalism. Swallowing our pride for just a moment and saying, what? if all the stories we love are whispers and echoes of something that's real? What if Jesus is who he said he was? What does that mean for the kind of husband I am, the kind of daughter I am, the kind of person I am, and how I need to change my priorities? I think that's what this book we've been talking about is all about. It's not dogma. It's not coercion or religion. It's a shot across the bow at materialism. It's a wake-up call for us. We've been living for material things to remind us, to insist that there's more to this life, that you are here for a purpose.